Hey, everybody. Uh, sorry, as usual, uh, it's been a while since I have done an episode. Work's been crazy. All the general excuses that I have been using for the last uh, nine or 10 months. But I'm back. And today we have kind of a, a finance 101 or an econ basics episode. And uh, the reason that I'm going to be talking about the subject, the other uh, day I was talking to a friend about the Silicon Valley Bank bailout. So this was actually probably a couple of months ago. But um, I really briefly, I mentioned yield inversions in the conversation and my buddy gave me kind of a, a blank look, basically letting me know he had no idea what I was talking about. Anyway, a bit later, I'll, I'll share why that topic came up when we were discussing Silicon Valley Bank. But um, in the process of having that chat, I realized that yield inversions may not be common knowledge and figured what the hell, this might be a good topic for an episode. So if you're a macro expert, if you watch CNBC every day, you probably already know all about this, um, so you might want to just skip this episode. But for the rest of you, um, I think it's a reasonably important topic that does affect the global financial system and can, to some degree, predict the future or at least point to uh, probable economic ups and downs. So it's worth at least understanding on a surface level. So let's do a little deep dive on bond yield inversions. So first of all, what what are they? Well, in basic terms, yield inversions happen when the yield on short-term bonds is higher than the yields on long-term bonds. Now, um, this is notable because it's the opposite of a normal yield curve where long-term bonds have higher yields. And by yields, I mean interest, because the longer-term bonds are riskier than short-term bonds. Uh, and they call that duration risk, where basically you don't have access to your money for a longer period of time. So, if something goes sideways and you need your money, or if you have an opportunity to get in on a better investment, you can't because your money is tied up for the long term. Duration risk. Anyway, so it's very reasonable that longer terms of illiquidity would demand more interest and more of a return on your investment. So the yield curve is basically a graph um, that shows yields on bonds of different maturities. Uh, oh, oh, and maturities, by the way, are how long before you get your money back. Uh, if you're talking like a really short-term maturity, like a year or less, uh, if we're talking about um, U.S. government bonds, those are called treasury bills. Then the next longer-term uh, instrument is the treasury note, which is kind of a medium term. And those are sold in two, three, five, uh, seven, and 10-year terms. And then you've got bonds, which are the long-term ones, which are 20 or 30-year terms. So there you go, bills, notes, bonds. Okay, so back to the yield curve. So for a lot of people, it turns out this is a uh, pretty critical indicator of investor sentiment when the bond yields invert. Um, so when short-term bond yields exceed the long-term yields, it could be seen as a signal that investors are more pessimistic about the near-term uh, economic outlook than long-term, and they're demanding higher returns to invest in these short-term securities. So what causes these uh, inversions? Well, one just might be overall sentiment. You know, people are pessimistic about the, the near term versus the long term. Another reason we could see yield inversion is just based on changes in monetary po policy. So the Federal Reserve, um, you know, as of this point in history, is the largest purchaser of U.S. treasuries. So that gives the Fed the ability to have a serious impact on the bond market. They also dictate the interest rates, which um, immediately impacts these short term yields. 
So, uh, for example, say it's 2021, the economy is doing okay, but inflation is ticking up or we're coming out of a pandemic and the Fed decides to hike the interest rate. This is going to increase the yields of the next round of short-term bonds that get issued because they're more directly tied to the federal funds rate. So now for folks holding on to older, lower-yielding short-term bonds, these bonds immediately become less attractive. So they might want to try to sell those bonds, but nobody wants them because they've got this lower interest rate and they're going to have to be sold at a discount. By the way, this is the reason for what you've heard all your life, but you may not understand. Interest rates go up, bond prices go down, or bond values go down. Conversely, say you've bought some five-year notes at whatever, 5.5% today, uh, and then two years from now, interest rates start dropping, the value of those notes is going to presumably go up. But long-term bond yields are less directly affected by the Fed's actions. These uh, might be more influenced by, uh, you know, long-term economic outlook, inflation expectations, wars, uh, their global factors. So even though short-term rates are rising, long-term rates might not rise as much or as fast, and they might even fall, leading to this yield inversion phenomenon. So, you may have seen the headlines where these inversions happen saying that they're predictors of recession. So do they really predict recessions? Well, word is that uh, every U.S. recession since, since 1950 has been preceded by a yield inversion. But these inversions don't cause the recessions. They're just kind of a signal that investors are worried about things for a variety of reasons. And if they're right, the recession might be on its way. Uh, or it could just be a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Federal Reserve raises interest rates. That makes borrowing more expensive. Then that reduces business spending and investment. Then there's a downturn in the economy. That lasts a couple of quarters, and boom, you've got a recession. Uh, one thing to note is that yield inversions do not always result in a recession or a financial crisis. Um, there have been yield inversions where the economy has continued to grow. Uh, also, the timing between a yield inversion and its recession is highly variable. So like in 2006, um, there was a yield inversion, but we didn't get the recession until 2008. Uh, they, in quotes, uh, say that it's an average of 15 months between the inversion starting and then the, the resultant recession happening. Oh, and one thing I, I failed to mention so exactly which bonds are you comparing when you're talking about this stuff? Well, uh, usually they're comparing the two-year and the 10-year. Um, not that this is the only pair, but generally if you're reading the news and they're talking about this stuff, it's the two-year versus the 10-year. Okay, so now you might be asking, uh, get to the point, are we in a yield inversion now? Well, yes, we are. And we have been for just over a year. Uh, according to CNBC, Two-year treasuries have been paying more than the 10-year since July 5th, 2022. And get this, on Monday, Monday, which would have been, I guess, the 3rd of July, two-year treasuries were yielding 4.94% versus 3.86 on the 10-year. And that disparity was the biggest in 42 years. So does that mean that we're in for the biggest recession in 42 years? Well, nobody knows. If you listen to Harry Dent, he's been predicting the biggest recession for, I don't know, over about the last decade. But if the 15-month average holds, our recessions should start in about October. Um, so how should you invest? 
knowing that there's a recession coming? Well, the TV commercials are going to tell you to buy gold, and you've probably been noticing that there's an increase in commercials on your TV for and uh, you know on radio for gold coins and bullion. Me, I'm not changing a thing because I continue to put every extra cent that I have into Bitcoin. Um, and man, people think I'm a complete fool for this, and I honestly I can't blame them. But uh, it is what it is. Oh, speaking of Bitcoin, uh, I wanted to lead. I wanted to talk about what led me to this whole topic. So, Silicon Valley Bank a couple months ago failed, and you may or may not recall they kind of had a run on the bank, and they couldn't they couldn't honor all the withdrawals. And why couldn't they? Well, because because banks are not uh, mandated to have full reserves on their deposits. And Silicon Valley Bank had some giant depositors and it didn't take tons of those depositors coming to them and pulling their money for them to become illiquid. And it turns out that on the Silicon Valley Bank balance sheet, they had a whole bunch of their assets locked up in 30-year treasuries. So that was basically the problem is that they were too exposed to duration risk those bonds are not going to do them any good if their depositors are lining up trying to get their money back. Also, as we now know, uh, what we just talked about, interest rates were going up. So the value of those long-term 30-year bonds were going down. So even if they could sell them like right away, they were going to get 60 or 70 cents on the dollar at best and maybe, uh, you know, maybe 50 cents on the dollar or less at worst. So they are screwed, and then that forced a, a essentially a bailout. And uh, just one other quick note is that I, in a previous episode where I went and tried to take twenty five grand out of my bank, and they wouldn't let me because they didn't have the cash to do so. Well, I went to my local community bank and checked out their balance sheet, and they have a ton of their reserves in very long term investments. And including 30-year mortgages and bonds and car loans. And for me, that makes me very nervous because that's kind of the modus operandi for these community banks is to have a whole bunch of their reserves in illiquid instruments so that if there was a run, they would be totally screwed. Yes, we do have the FDIC, but the FDIC is insured for a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of overall deposits. I'm not saying that you should be nervous about your bank, but I'm nervous about my bank. And if there is another kind of banking crisis like we had this spring, uh, it could be very bad. And it is what it is. I may be just paranoid, but there, there you have it. So that's basically all I wanted to talk about. I wanted to just cover these yield inversions and let you know kind of what they might mean. And um, that's uh, that's it for today. And thanks for joining me. And again, I'm going to try to do these uh, episodes. I'm going to try to record these a little bit more regularly. But uh, until probably this time next year, we're going to keep spinning these out maybe once a month. But thanks for listening and have a great one. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. 
Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.